And allyship is knowing when to stand in front of, aside, and behind those who are marginalized. Facts do not have opinions. Just don't let perfection be the enemy of the good. Self-love is really about self-respect and acceptance. Welcome to The Whole View. I'm Stacey Toth of Real Everything. I'm here each week to dive deeper into how we can find happiness and health inside and out through self-love, body positivity, and discovering new ways to be our best selves. Before we get started, a reminder, this podcast is for general education purposes and is not intended to to diagnose, advise, or treat any physical or mental illness, and we always recommend that you see a licensed health professional accordingly. I do also want to let you know that I have recently seen a health professional. I am arriving here with my full Stevie voice. I'm ready to be in the band recovering from the flu, and I just want to thank our guest. Dr. Steve is here to talk about inclusive leadership, but also I just want to give a big thank you to your flexibility and patience as I had to reschedule because I had the flu over the past week. And with the holidays and everything, it was, I'm sure, a lot for you to reposition the podcast to today. So thank you for that. You're very welcome, Stacey. It's a pleasure to be here. Glad we've made it work. Yes, absolutely. So listeners, I want to introduce you to Steve. Dr. Steve, actually, I didn't even ask you how to pronounce your last name. Can you tell me? <laughs> Iacovelli. I w- okay, I would have gone with yeah, that. I would have yeah, guessed. Gone <laughs> Is it Italian? It's Americanized Italian, yeah. Okay, interesting. All right. Steve, you have run the gamut in terms of your support of bringing inclusivity to leadership and workforce. And one of the things that's really important for me as I have become a more aware ally and wanting to be someone who is proactive in helping people feel safe and supported is the recognition that as a leader in business, that this is something that I think previously we pushed under the rug or don't ask, don't tell was the policy (laughs) that I grew up with, right? Whereas now we realize that people need to feel seen, they need to feel validated, they need to feel safe, and that we can do that as leaders in a workforce and as people in our own lives. So I have a lot of parental listeners, and I would argue that being a parent as also being a leader, right? Like we are, we are the leaders of our household. My dogs believe that I am the leader of the pack (laughs) and my kids, I hope as well. And so I feel like it's so important as a parent to teach my children that it's their responsibility to help advocate and to speak up and to be inclusive and to foster these acceptance and all of this kind of stuff that moves forward. And I think that can feel overwhelming if Mm. we grew up in a don't ask, don't tell environment, or we haven't had a personal lived experience that maybe lends itself to having the accommodations to understand how somebody else might need that accommodation themselves. So I'm excited to bring some of this forward, especially as we look to the new year. I think it's a great time to evaluate yourself as a parent, as a leader in any space, right? Like it could Mm. be in Girl Scouts. It could be in so many places where 
these skills and understanding them come forward. Can you tell us a little bit more about yourself and your work with Fortune 500 companies and and all (laughs) this kind of stuff? You definitely have an amazing background that for those of us that are going to be sharing this at Boy Scouts, you've got us covered. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for that, that, Stacey. I appreciate that. And uh, before I introduce myself, yeah, for those listening or for those watching, as I say in Pride Leadership, which is my latest book, and we'll talk about that down the road, and I also do it in a lot of my leadership workshops, Leaders, leadership is about influence. And so whether you're in a formal role at a workplace, whether you're in a volunteer position and you're leading the pack, or you're an individual contributor, leadership is being able to influence others around you. And so I love when people define that. And thank you for bringing that up because I have a lot of folks say, oh, I'm not a leader. Shenanigans, as we say here in the South, all y'all are leaders, (laughs) whether you are in any position, if you influence someone around you, that's in a leadership role. And anything that we talk about here today about inclusive leadership isn't just for the workplace, isn't just for those C-suite executives, isn't just for that associate director of the nonprofit or whatever. It's everyone listening. And we all have the opportunity to create those inclusive spaces from that leadership perspective. And so I want to kick that off there before I say hello to myself and everyone listening. As Stacey said, Dr. Steve Iacovelli pronouns he, him, and his. I am the owner and principal of Top Dog Learning Group, but I'm also known as the gay leadership dude. And we'll get to that just in a moment. But Top Dog Learning Group, my business, I like to think of our doghouse as sitting in the center of three very different but insanely complementary areas. We focus on leadership and organizational development, both for nonprofits as well as for large organizations. We do diversity inclusion and creating a sense of belonging in the workplace. And we look at change management and being resilient in times of change. And we do one, if not all three of those, through a variety of different channels or delivery ways. We do some custom training programs, both in-person and virtual. We do group coaching sessions. We do off-the-shelf solutions. We just say, here you go, folks. We do keynotes and signature talks. And we typically work with folks in North America, both US, Canada, as well as beyond. But those larger organizations, typically speaking, you're watching along, you can see a whole bunch of logos behind me. If you're not, it's folks like Disney, IBM. I work with several pharmaceutical companies. I don't know how we just started playing with those folks. The great thing about all these different client partners that we play with is they're so across the board, but everyone's a leader. And that's the commonality or the common thread amongst that. Personally speaking, I started Top Dog almost 15 years ago as my full-time venture, but it started as a side hustle while I was working for the Walt Disney Company. I actually worked as an internal leadership consultant with Disney Cruise Line for several years. And a colleague approached me and said, we should start a business. I'm like, we have awesome jobs. Why would we do that? Just no, no side hustle. It'll be fun. And so we did in 2002 and started our side hustle and just kept it going. And it was really an excuse to drink some wine once a week and conquer the training world kind of thing. And then I found myself out of a job in 2007, very end of the year. And I thought, I have this infrastructure. Let's make a go of it and see if I can make it a full-time thing. So I did that starting early in 2008 and knock on wood, it's been my main gig ever since. I personally have worked with a lot of these companies that you had listed when I myself was in corporate America. And I love the idea that you are working with some, so I'm from the GovCon world is where my original career was. So a lot of these brands that you're working with, I'm like, I love that they are being inclusive and working towards some of the stuff because they weren't when I left. And I hope that we both feel like Disney has done some really great work since you've been gone. And I know that's not in spite of your being gone, but (laughs) kudos to- They're actually still, they're actually still a client. Shh, don't tell. Okay. Clearly the work that they're doing, I know for me personally, having children who- 
come from being queer themselves or feel very passionate about their siblings wanting to be allies. I, I, it's a complete aside story, but we actually told our adoptive child that we were going to adopt them at Disney because it felt felt inclusive and (laughs) they love so many of those stories themselves. So I love that there's that thread. There's, it's always such a small world, right? But (laughs) But, um, anyway, so I think as we talk, I love that you also raised this idea that we are all influencers Mm. in some sort of capacity, whether it's with our neighbors or what I know, I personally have had conversations with people in my own life that have nothing to do with the work that I do here about how we can all be more inclusive in our day-to-day life. And I think that's part of being an influencer in the circles that you run. And so one of the things that I think is important to start off with is if we could maybe define what inclusivity means, either for yourself or in the work Mm -hmm. that you do. Yeah, and I often start with the concept of you always hear diversity and inclusion mushed together. In the workshops that we do, we say, let's define diversity first. And, and when you start to think about the diversity of humans, and you can go down the path of listing all the different ways, and there's lots of cool models out there that kind of help organize that you know, race, ethnicity, sexual orientation, gender, physical ability, religion, parental status, marital status. These are all facets on what makes us unique and how we see the world. And so when you boil it down to diversity, is the many similar similarities and differences between people, period. And that encompasses so much stuff. So we start there, yay, it's the differences, the similarities and such. Then you hear inclusion, diversity and inclusion. And inclusion is really about the environment. And so if diversity is about the humans that are part of it, Inclusion is about the environment we strive to create, where people feel that that they're heard and they, that they have that space at the table. And back in the day when I first started playing in this space, one of my mentors said, if you think about it, diversity is being invited to the dance. Doors open, come on in, folks. But inclusion is being asked to dance, being an active member within this situation. And I always thought that was cool. But what I love now is that when you start to think about this kind of work, it's now not just diversity and inclusion, but it's belonging. And I love that the evolution of this particular field is moving to that because when you look at belonging, it's not about the individual humans' similarities and differences or the environment we're trying to create. It's about how someone feels. And so if I am in a space and I have a sense of belonging, and that means as an individual, I feel safe, I feel heard, I feel that I can bring my authentic self here and I'm not going to be judged for that or dinged for that, that's what we're trying to do is create that sense of belonging for for all folks within this space and that they are heard and seen and safe to be who they truly are. And I think that's the lovely way to think about it. So if I use the dancing analogy, it's Stacy, remember Seinfeld? Or watch Seinfeld, of course. of course, every year. So if you haven't, Google Elaine dancing on Seinfeld because you see this particular character would, was known for dancing so horribly. Yeah, and just like this, <laughs> if you watch the Wednesday show now, it's like a big thing on Netflix. She does no, this Wednesday's gorgeous- yeah. She's flawless. flawless. Some might interpret that as weird. And I love it. And that's like, when you think about belonging, it's when you're at that dance and you're dancing however way you want to express yourself, no one's judging. Everyone's just applauding you to dance your own authentic self. And I think that's a fun way to think about it. No, I love that analogy. And I think the concept of belonging was also when you were talking, it made me think about Myers hierarchy. Maslow's. 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 Yes. Thank you. Yep. Yes. Sorry. Brain fog from the flu. That's right. But Maslow's hierarchy, we've talked about on the show many times before. And this idea that if you don't feel safe, Space you can't. Water 
yes, you can't get to any of the higher parts of the triangle. And I think as someone who is working with teams or as someone who's working with teens, either way, like they're not going to bring their best selves if they don't feel safe. And as someone who is a leader, we benefit from helping people feel like they belong because if they feel safe and if they feel heard, they're going to be able to then bring in those higher levels of the Maslow's hierarchy to the workplace. If we are not helping them feel like we genuinely respect their authentic self, you don't feel safe in that space. We can't expect that we are going to learn and grow and benefit from what they could bring to the table themselves. Like they might fear, oh, I have this great idea, but I'm afraid to bring it forward because I don't want to be judged or whatever. And so I think it's important to consider that the benefit that comes from inclusivity and belonging is much more than just to the individual. Like, of course, that benefit is important. And it also benefits you as a leader and the companies and everybody behind them because you're going to get more productivity and you're going to get the best ideas when someone feels safe. Yeah. What's really fascinating is why you're hearing so much about inclusion and diversity and belonging within, especially the corporate workplace. It's exactly what you said, Stacey. It's when I work on this with clients, sometimes I have to sell this, you know, like overall client be like, yes, Steve, we want you and your team to come in do these one day workshops or your online things. But the participants sometimes are more voluntold <laughs> to be there. And so what we do is we start off and say, look, if you think about it, there's really three different ways that reasons why organizations engage in this kind of behavior. On one side, there's the legal things keep you out of hot water, depending on where you live and some of the laws in place and in your country and your state and in your world, you have to do certain things to be inclusive to keep out of hot water. So there's that side. Okay, fine. On the complete other end of the spectrum is, you know what, this is the right thing to do. This makes the world a better place. And I'm sitting there, Stacey, I'm sure you're sitting there. Many of your listeners are there, viewers. The world's just better when we're more inclusive, period. And I say, you know what, I'd love you to get there, friends, in my workshops, but let's just agree in the middle. And the middle is the business case. And you can say business, but still be nonprofit, by the way. It just means the productivity case. This is better for your bottom line. This is better for for employee or engagement or whatever whatever you want to call it. This is better for retention of your workplace. At the end of the day, though, when you look at the research, and if you just Google business case for inclusivity or diversity and inclusion, or a couple different phrases, you will find a ton of research that shows how being inclusive is better for the business bottom line. And so I tell folks in my workshops, look, I want you to get to this is Kumbaya, the world that it will be better, but agree that this, you want your business to thrive. You want your nonprofit to not just succeed, but thrive. So be on with me with this one day journey or several parts. And they're like, okay. And eventually, yeah, they'll also see that, wow, we can do better for the organization and it's good for the world. Awesome sauce. Let's do that. And so it's kind of like my not so hidden agenda to get folks into this world. You start with a pocketbook and then you move your way up, but it works. It's keeping people engaged. And in this day and age where it's way too easy for a lot of folks to just say, you know what, I'm done with you business or workplace. I can go virtually go elsewhere because I don't have to commute as much or I can commute less. Yeah, it's a employers need to find reasons to keep their employees. And one of the best ways to help them feel a sense of belonging. And that's why this work is so important. 
and for me too, as a consumer, I think a lot of consumers are much more mindful these days about the brands that they're supporting, yes. the values that they have, and making sure that they are voting with their dollars in a way that they appreciate. So I think yes. it applies in so many ways. So that said, I think there is the other side to the coin, right? This idea that where we might feel inclusivity can have all these positive benefits, that some might feel excluded, that the inclusivity that others might feel might lead others to feel like they're marginalized, even if they weren't originally part of a marginalized group. And I think that it's important to have this conversation because I find that in social media, especially, this can be a place where things get rampant and things get negative and nasty. And it's not necessarily something that's coming up that people are talking face to face about. But I do think it's worth having a conversation that we're talking about creating safety. We're talking about mm. belonging. I would argue that people who are not originally marginalized groups have never felt unsafe or unbelonging. However, I do understand feeling excluded. Mm. And what can we do about that? And is that real? And when we create LGBTQ only spaces or women only spaces, mm -hmm. or we have these set-asides in GovCon for small women-owned businesses, yes, we are actually excluding men from those <laughs> set-asides. Yeah. But what does that mean in the work that you see? How does that play out? And all of the fallout from that. So to yeah, speak. there's a couple different ways to approach that that concept of, of inclusion is not doesn't have to be the expense of exclusion. And we'll take employee resource groups, for example, if you're not familiar with that term, most larger organizations, businesses, especially have for lack of a better term clubs, <laughs> but they're like a group center set aside for like demographic employees to connect and engage in network and support. And a lot of the companies I work with have LGBTQ plus employee resource groups, I say plus instead of plus just because it's sounds cooler. That's a whole thing in my book about it. I lived in France, blah, blah, blah. So if you hear plu, it means plus friends. That's all it means. But, and so there's, for lack of a better term in general, the gay group, gay employees are over here doing their thing, meaning that in the broadest sense of the word. Now, in every single one of those LGBT ERGs, employee resource groups, allies are more than welcome. And I I see a lot of them for a variety of reasons. You say, see, you led a whole bunch of those a little bit earlier. So you have, for whatever reason, people who want to strive to be an awesome ally for any group. I know when I worked at IBM as a consultant, I was part of the women's network. And I remember one of my colleagues, they're like, wait, where are you going? I'm like, oh, I have a women's, women's network meeting. They're like, what? They were so confused. And I said, how else can I be a better ally to our female colleagues if I don't sit silently at the table to hear what some of the challenges are and then ask the question, how can I help be a better ally for you? And allyship is knowing when to stand in front of, aside, and behind those who are marginalized. And so I think when we talk about exclusive, and if you're not seeing me, I'm doing bunny ears right now around that. It's asking the reasons why. Most situations really aren't exclusionary. Things like contracting, for example, that is to give typically underrepresented or groups a little bit of a lift up. And if you think about, there's a concept of equality and equity. And they're two different concepts. When we think about equality, it's giving the same opportunity for everyone. Depending on where I'm sitting, I and I always use this example if in a physical classroom, it's fun when we're talking about this concept. Usually I my my rooms are in a, like a U-shape. So people are in a U-shape and I give everybody three pieces of paper, they sign their name on it, then they crumple them up like little snowballs. And then in the front of the room, I'll put a box or a waste bin or something like that. And I say, okay, everyone, without standing up, without moving your chair, 
try to get your three pieces of paper in that box at the front of the room. Of course, the people in the front of the room, they're just like, boop, yep, it's right there because it's right in front of them. Where the people in the back of the room, they're throwing, of course, their paper, so don't go very far. And they're like, that's not fair. I said, ah, you now just understand the concepts of equity versus equality. Equity is giving everybody the same opportunity. If you're not, if you're sitting in the back of the room versus the front of the room, that same quote unquote opportunity really isn't. And so this is where equity comes into play. And that's where, how can we rightfully help others to, to get to them to the same starting point, so to speak. There's an often used, and so in this case, I say, okay, how can we make this example more equal for everyone else? And they're like, okay, everyone has to sit in the same chair and rotate and they get the same distance. Yes, perfect example. And so you have to think through what is the reasons why we're excluding folks? Is it just to be nanny, nanny, boo-boo? Typically it's not. It's to give those other folks who maybe didn't have that, that sitting in the front of the room to throw their paper into the box, the opportunity to have the same op- same skill set or same exposure as those who typically were the ones always sitting in that front of the room. I love that example. And having been through GovCon, I can also say that the system still works itself out because almost all of those contracts that I did, it was 51% to the actual woman-owned business. And then they were partnering with other large companies, some of which you have worked for and were (laughs) on that sheet that you shared with us who are doing 49% of the work. And part of that is because they're helping bring along the person to the front of the classroom. Like maybe there was an obstacle and they're helping move the obstacle. They're helping teaching them how to do some of the things, or maybe they have resources that a small business might Mm. not have. And so there is a lot of partnership that I don't think that the average person realizes is happening to help bring that person to the front of the class and that it isn't exclusionary. It's actually creating more opportunity for a lot of both parties, right? Not just one. This podcast is sponsored by Ritual. Remember when Lindsay Dahl was a guest on episode 32? She blew my mind talking about the concerns with supplement safety. And I love that someone with her expertise is working with Ritual, which is now the first multivitamin I have ever felt comfortable recommending because I trust Lindsay, her research, and the amazing work Ritual is doing for our health and the planet since they're a certified B Corp. With age, I have found the wisdom that perfection is truly the enemy of the good. And the stress of tracking every single bite for nutrient sufficiency was just not worth the payoff for me. What I can do is take a multivitamin thoughtfully designed to optimize my health. And I love Ritual's Smart Capsule because it has a delayed release that is designed to optimize dissolving in the small intestine, the ideal place to absorb nutrients. They are essenced with mint to ensure no unpleasant aftertaste or weird fish oil burps. And honestly, this makes them so pleasant to take. I love that it's fewer pills because they combine oily and dry ingredients into one capsule and you can get the nutrients that you need in just two daily pills that are smaller than most other omega-3 or multivitamins that I've seen. Their products are simple, clean, and backed by science, made traceable and formulated to be customized to your specific needs. Plus, Ritual has a first-of-its-kind traceable supply chain, so you can see where all of your key ingredients come from and why they are there. And Ritual shows proof. Their flagship multi has USP verification and a peer-reviewed and published clinical study. 
All of their products are vegan, non-GMO, and gluten-free, and third-party tested, so you know you can trust them. Start a vitamin ritual you can trust. To get started, visit ritual.com slash wholeview today and get 10% off your first three orders. That's ritual.com slash wholeview to start your new ritual today. Public service announcement, the winter sale is happening at beautycounter.com slash Toth. The leader in clean beauty is giving you the steepest savings of the year with 40% and more on my favorite safer personal care and better beauty brand. You can check out my favorites on sale at realeverything.com slash winter sale. This supports my woman-owned small business and your voting with your wallet by choosing a certified B Corp whose mission is to get safer products into the hands of everyone through health protective laws while also giving back to the people and planet through sustainable fair trade ingredients. Go to beautycounter.com slash S-T-A-C-Y-T-O-T-H, just like any other website. And if you need help navigating your own unique skin needs or the best deal, I'd love to help. Just email Stacy at realeverything.com. I also love that you talked about D-E-N-I because I feel like diversity, equity, and inclusion became real big buzzwords over the last couple of years. And a lot of people don't fully understand the difference between each of them or why it's necessary to talk about. And I do think that there were a lot of people who put black squares on their feeds and moved forward versus people who are actually really wanting to implement change. And I I don't think that those are mutually exclusive. I think that there's a lot of people who genuinely want to participate and are not sure how or the best ways. And listening to this podcast is a great way to get started and working with um, you, Steve, and Top Dog, <laughs> and also just being good allies. No, I love how you phrased stand, knowing when to stand in front of, beside, or behind. Those are all really great analogies, but I would love to discuss how you've seen the last couple of years impact this work of DE&I and what kind of follow through maybe (laughs) some people have had that have been more successful so that efforts don't fizzle out. That's not what anybody wants. Nobody wants to do all this work and make all this effort and pay all this money and then have nothing changed. That doesn't benefit anyone. I think, sadly, I do think some organizations just want the tick box approach that we call performative allyship. And for those in 2020 with George Floyd and the Black Lives Matter movement, uh, really taking root and really getting a lot of focus as it should have, you had a lot of folks who, like you said, they would put the, change their logo to a certain color. You see this every June with the folks who are like, yay, rainbow wash our logo, woohoo. And then July 1st, they're still doing things that harm the queer community. And so it's, that's not really the way it works. So I think it's- not even only on July 1st, sometimes oh, still on yeah. June 1st. <laughs> correct. Yes, correct. I think really noodling, as my one friend says, on this, this question and this concept quite a bit recently. And I had someone ask me, they're like, what's the secret to making this kind of work stick? And one of the things that I talk about within Top Dog Learning Group, there's it's no accident that all, the three pillars or three areas that we focus on, leadership, diversity, and change management, there's a reason why, especially when you talk about change management. And uh, people are like, oh, Top Dog Learning Group, you do training stuff. Yeah, and. When I worked at IBM, I actually was a change management consultant. And what that meant was we'd have this amazing team of 
of IBMers who were doing some sort of tech thing, making a new business process, new software, whatever it was. And then my team had to come in and get the humans in the business to do it. And so that's sometimes easier said than done. And so change management is really saying, how do you get somebody or a group of somebodies from point A to point Z or point Z without too much of a dip in performance? Yes, there's always going to be a dip. And just think about yourself as a human. You want to make a big change. You don't just say, you know what? It's New Year's Day. I'm going to be healthy. You take strategies. You think about things. Businesses do the same stuff. And whether it's a business process, like, oh, we're going to now do a different way of recruiting, or it's making your workplace more inclusive, the strategies are still very similar. And it's not just training that you have. Yes, you need some sort of training to some point. But what's your communication strategy? What's your measurement strategy? Meaning, how do you know the stuff's moving and going the right direction? What are your executives doing to support this change? And so when I mentioned change management, people are just like, eh, whatever, blah, blah, blah. No, this is how change happens, is when you consciously make an effort to do not just, yay, we did a lunch and learn, we're awesome and inclusive, we have blank month. No, that's a nice start. And what are your senior executives doing? Does the diversity function, is it buried somewhere in your HR department or is it sitting up in the C-suite as a strategic opportunity? Yes. And so those are the organizations that are being smart about it and getting traction is when they treat diversity and inclusion, a sense of belonging as not just a, we're going to celebrate blank month, but it's an ongoing strategy that's part of the business and tied to the business. Those are the folks that are making a difference. They're not just doing the performative allyship. They're really making it part of the way they do business and big and small things, not just, oh, here's money toward this, or, hey, we did this movie or this media campaign where we had two dads or whatever, but it's what are our corporate policies, big and small? I was talking with someone the other day and they're like, what's an example of a kind of a smaller but inclusive thing that you've seen recently? I said, you know what? A big challenge or big opportunity is workplaces that are enacting bereavement policies for non-human children. And I say that very specifically as a non-human, but a canine parent. When my I lost my canine daughter, my dog Ella, last year, I lost a child that broke my heart. And if I was part of a big company, would they have honored that bereavement and given me some of that time off? Organizations are now saying, you know what? We shouldn't limit the definition of what an offspring is or a loved one to just a limited certain things. And humans will self-manage. No one is going to go, oh yeah, this is my grandmother's death for the 28th time, wink, wink. No, they're not going to do that. But smart workplaces are thinking through ways that, you know what? Let's trust our people. Let's empower them and let's give them that sense that we do want to understand their unique situations and honor that with whatever policies we have. I think it's funny that you mentioned this idea that people will self-manage. And I would argue that by making rules so tight that you try to limit things, right? We're actually catering to the people who are going to take advantage that it's actually tempting as someone who's like a rebel personality if you tell me like these are the strict rules of something like I will find the gray area to play in and I will get away (laughs) with whatever and that's like a challenge to me whereas if you just say to me like when you're sick you take time off if you're grieving you take time off we don't want you to come into work when you are half performing 
And we also expect that this is something that you're going to do reasonably and that you're not going to be out all the time. Like many people have grandparents who die close together. It's a common Mm -hmm. thing when someone who's lost someone that they've lived with for a long time, we look at the king and queen of England, right? That's Mm -hmm. an example that's very common within a year or two. And yes, you might have someone who needs bereavement leave multiple times in one year, and that might be real. And then they won't have any more grandparents. So they'll have time to move on. Um, but I think that's a great example of when you give trust in someone and you say to them, like, I'm going to treat you like the responsible adult. Like to me, I have way more weight on how I want to bring my work to the table when someone is treating me like an adult that I want to be treated. That we teach that in all of our leadership stuff. I was doing an interview a couple of years ago when my book Pride Leadership first came out and the gentleman, he was so cool. He's do you know the secret to leadership? I'm like, actually I do. He's really I'm like, yeah, he's, he didn't think I would answer it. I'm like, oh, absolutely. I do. He's like, what? So I could have taken my 356 page book and made it one word on one page, which isn't very good for profits, but that's the truth. And I said, the real secret to effective leadership is trust. And so all the things that we talk about in pride leadership and all of our workshops and my keynotes, they all move to helping build trust with those around you as a leader. And whether that's honoring them as, hey, you're a smart adult, figure it out to here, what can I do to make this sense of belonging more for you, coworker or friend or whoever? It builds trust with folks. It's about relationships and good relationships are founded on trust. That's not secretive. Treat humans with respect and say that the smart organizations that really want to make a difference and have that sense of belonging do two things really well. One, they teach leaders to be empathetic. So I don't have to be a white cisgender gay dude. So I don't, I will never understand the plight of our brothers and sisters and siblings of color. But if I can have some empathy that, wow, that's got to be a really challenging way sometimes to go through this situation or that situation. Empathy is a beautiful thing thing for all of us humans to have. So there's that. And then the other is having a good feedback system. And so if Stacey, you and I are saying, or having a meeting, and I say something that really strikes you the wrong way. And you can say, hey, Steve, I just want to point out when you said this, it made me feel this way. And I don't get defensive. You don't get to have a grudge. You can share that feedback, honestly. And then we move on. One, yay, you just educated me. Awesome. And then two, we just build a level of trust there. And so smart organizations are fostering those two concepts quite a bit, because then all this other stuff falls into place. I have seen it work really well in the school system. So we're lucky and also intentional that we live in a county that is very inclusive focused and that is very respectful of children's identities, but also needs. So it's not just about LGBTQ. It's also making sure that children's needs are met on all fronts. And one of the areas that I was super impressed by when we first became foster parents to a trans child is I was getting educated educated by the school, a way that I was like, this is exactly what schools are supposed to be doing. They're supposed to be leading the the forefront in terms of on learning. And I was super impressed and it broke my heart. It still breaks my heart to read that there are counties and states in the country who are not providing that safe haven for children. Mm -hmm. For me, I learned so much from working with the individuals, the leaders at the schools that my children go to in terms of how they approached inclusivity on how they 
very nonchalantly asked pronouns and respected them. If a name changed or if a pronoun changed, okay, no big deal. That's, you're this person today, you're somebody else tomorrow. I understand that you are going through exploration and I'm here to respect it and to let you explore. That's what childhood is about. And the way that I saw people not just be able to express what their needs were or what their concerns were Mm -hmm. expressed, right? Like it can come from a variety of different perspectives, but also from validation. That was a huge thing for me. So in the scenario that you gave of, hey, when you said whatever, I felt blah, blah, blah. Yes, you're building trust. And if you're then able to say, gosh, that was not my intent. Thank you for pointing that out. It's huge, I think, even more so in the trust building because you're letting that person know, I'm not holding a grudge. That wasn't my intention. Because I do think that a lot of where things go wrong is in people misunderstanding intentions of others. Because the world is so divisive these days, because especially online, we are intentionally devised because it helps click and engagement rates when we're in real world situations and we can say to someone, yes, I hear you and your perspective is valid. That was a huge lesson for me. I don't need to have perceived a situation the same way as my teenagers. Oh, I can't even tell you how many times <laughs> my teens perceive something a certain way. And that is not my lived experience, but it doesn't mean that's not how they experienced Absolutely. it. Absolutely. And for me, having that perspective of seeing how teachers handle middle school and high school, all the changes that kids go through, I genuinely believe that it has made me not just a better parent, but a better person, a better leader in my organization. Being able to hear someone say, hey, I'm not comfortable with this. And instead of being like, that's the way it is, <laughs> get, with just sad. Yeah. get with the program or whatever. Now it's, okay, I hear you. Maybe yeah. this isn't the right thing for you. Or maybe we can come up with an accommodation that it does feel comfortable. So one of my favorite go-to phrases, hey, and I will absolutely admit, I'm also human. I also have flaws. I'm not perfect in any of this stuff. But one of the things I have been fortunate to mostly train myself on, not always 100%, but mostly, is in a neutral way, ask the question. If someone's vehemently against, I'll just use LGBT equality. Clearly, I'm a bit passionate about that one. But I will pause, take a breath, and ask the person in the most neutral tone I can, thank you for sharing that. How did you get to that conclusion? And then stop and truly listen. And don't, to paraphrase Stephen Covey, a big leadership guru, I don't listen to respond, I listen to understand and really start to think like, how do they get there? Was there something that happened to them? What's their news sources or data collection that maybe is skewing some of the situation? And just asking that question a lot of times really helps open the doors to have that deeper conversation on why'd you get there? And it's not just for that clickbait kind of mentality. And I would say too, that sometimes people are going to give you an answer and they're not going to be open to change. And that I have found that's not my responsibility to take on needing to fix someone or change one thing, right? Like when someone is open and willing to learn and understand, to listen, to unlearn, to do all these things, they'll be ready for it. But I'm not like no amount of pushing on someone is going to help. No amount of spamming them with memes and sending them (laughs) news articles or whatever is going to help. So I guess with that said, it would be super helpful if maybe we could talk about some of the folks that are in like non-traditional leadership roles, Mm -hmm. people who um, 
are listening to this and who are influencers in a smaller capacity than sure. a C-suite exec at a five, Fortune 500 company, where as leaders in their community, their family, other groups, could we see them take like specific actions or steps towards supporting marginalized groups and being better allies? One of the things that we teach in the work that I do and a lot of the keynotes I do is really thinking about it through three different lenses. And say, for those who aren't watching the video, it's think in, speak up, and act out are the three strategies to create a more inclusive workplace, a more inclusive environment space for everybody, insert whatever here. So the thinking part is about you as a person. If you are listening to this, if you're watching this, if you are breathing, you have bias. <laughs> and people don't like to hear that, but we do. It's just how we're made. It's how we're wired. It was a cave person wiring safety thing to preserve our species as we were going out of the cave. We didn't sit there when this big woolly tooth saber thingy came to our cave door and say, well, he has big teeth, but maybe he's an herbivore. Too late, chomp. So we go into fight or flight or sometimes freeze mentality. And we take a little bit of data, make some assumptions, and then we take quick action on it. That was to preserve us as humans. Flash forward to the 21st century, we're probably not in those cave situations all the time, but we're still wired that way. Case in point, if you are ever on a low-cost carrier, the one where you don't pick the seat that's or someone sitting next to you, and you're sitting there, you're in your seat, you're getting copy, and you're watching people come down the aisle, and you're like, no, no, yes, you can sit here. What's triggering that response? You're getting a little bit of data, and you're making some decisions. So there's an example of bias popping up. So the thinking is you find ways to uncover your own unconscious biases. If you Google Project Implicit or IAT at Harvard, it's a free online assessment. I'm not affiliated with it. It's free to everybody, but it's a way to potentially measure unconscious biases in yourself. And so one of the ways is to think in about your own biases. So awareness is the first step to de-bias yourself. And that is a word and you actually absolutely can de-bias yourself, but awareness is the first step. Now, speak up for organizations, for people, is to look around you and think about those who you immediately have impact and influence with. And I use the example, one time I was in Atlanta and we were at a client site, myself and one of my top doggers, and I call my consultants, and there was like 38 other folks from the client there. It was like the final meeting. We're like, yay, rah, we did the project. And we're just about to start the meeting. And at the head of this boardroom table is a senior executive who literally signed the checks, sponsored the project. And we're just about to start the meeting. Voices are going down. And he, the executive, and that his gender is actually important in the story. And he says stupidly loudly, well, you know how all women drive. And everyone stopped and yes, if you're not seeing Stacy's eyes, she just did the big eye roll. And absolutely, we all had the same reaction. We looked at that headed table, but no one said a word. And at that moment, we all were guilty of engaging in what's called silent collusion. And that's where you don't defend the rights of others when those disparaging, stupid comments are made. And I'm going to use that word because it's, it's not a smart comment. But what we can do as smart, inclusive leaders to create that space for anyone is to not engage in silent collusion. And there's a lot of different strategies. Matter of fact, I'll, we'll put it in the show notes. I have a free online training you can do just to help. But it's one of the ways you want to do that is to ask a question. So I created this little six-part strategy. It's called MopSam. It's really cheeky and silly, but it's it's based upon this Hungarian pulley mop, which is like one of those dogs that looks like it has dreadlocks or really cool looking. And I say his name is Sam. And if you use his name and his breed, MopSam, it's those are the six strategies. And people are like, what? I'm like, no, listen, the A in MopSam is ask a question. And so when you're in that moment as a, an inclusive leader and someone says one of those, well, you know, women drive comments, you just 
say, so what did you mean by that comment? Again, notice how I'm being neutral. It's not, but what did you mean by that comment? Shields will be up immediately. We communicate not just the words we use, but how we say things. And the speak up is us being smart leaders to create that inclusive space when someone says a disparaging comment, someone says something that's not really as inclusive as it should be. And so it does two things. One, it creates space for that other person, the quote unquote other. And it also shows people that, you know what, I'm not on board with this. I'm not going to roll that way as a leader. And then act out as you as a group, whatever group you're part of, start to think of ways that you can create a more inclusive space. So if it's if it's like an organization, a part of a chapter or a troop, or you're giving out forms, what are what is on those forms? If they're doing like, oh, gender, male, female. No, that's not as inclusive as it could be. You're in human resources and you're thinking about sick leave or different policies, or, or you're, I was in, a, I was working with a manufacturing client and they were all excited because they realized that their manufacturing teams they put together to like design products were a lot of white folks and they weren't including different perspectives and different voices. And so we worked on that and they were so excited. They're like, Steve, we got a really cool inclusive group for this next project. I'm like, awesome. The one thing they forgot with this group was handedness and no one on the 24th three-person design team was left-handed. So they designed this household widget. And when it went to market, they realized at way too after the fact that left-handed folks couldn't use it. And when we talk about act out is really thinking through, are we being as inclusive as possible in whatever we're trying to do? And use that as a way to have a conversation with everyone versus the executives or the leaders or the whomever. So think in, speak up, and act out are the three strategies to think about to create that more inclusive workspace. That's so interesting. It reminded me of, I used to do government contracts for all kinds of things, but I did one early on in my career for a submarine. And we got so stuck on this term hatchability, which like it's, I know it's such a weird randomized (laughs) thing, but it reminds me of your like left-handed thing because in order for people to get in and out of the hatch on the submarine, we had to think through all the different people who might be trying to get through the hatch and what their needs might be to get literally onto the submarine, let alone like all the things that needed to be handled inside the submarine. But And as I moved forward in my career and in my life, I've held on to the phrase hatchability anytime I think about needing to be inclusive for everybody to get through a door or through through the action might be. I, it's a great analogy with the handedness too. And it's funny, my household is half left-handed, which I know is pretty unique. I so 12% think, of the population. I know, I know. <laughs> and ironically, both of my parents are left-handed and I'm right-handed. So who, who knows what goes into it? But Steve, I think that you have shared a lot of really great ideas and I hope that people feel inspired in the new year. I am going to ask that you remind us where we can find some of your resources and tools if people want to follow up and find more from you. I know you mentioned at the Gay Leadership Dude on Instagram, and then you also talked about your consulting firm, topdoglearning.biz. Beyond that, your book, Pride Leadership. I'm going to put a link in the show notes for everybody. I already validated. It's on Amazon. It is. You you can (laughs) order it from your local bookstore as well. Where else might 
people go to find some of your resources? Yeah, the best place is topdoglearning.biz, B-I-Z. And yes, if you do .com, it'll redirect, but .biz is what we started doing 15 years ago, whatever, 2002 or whatever, is even longer. Um, that's the olden days before. Ex- yeah, and we just kept it. It's fun, unique. But uh, that's probably the best place to find us. You can see me, my team members, probably leadership, and my other books are also linked out there. There's some free training, and we'll put one of the, the MOPSAM, silent collusion, anti-silent collusion training in the show notes as well. But and you can find my latest book, Pride Leadership, on Steve on Amazon.com. And when my next book comes out, which hopefully is this spring, it'll redirect you to the newest book that'll be there as well. Great. And listeners, I can't wait to talk to Steve about what kind of dog he has. We didn't even talk about dogs. <laughs> no, I'm, a huge, we I'm a huge dog person recently. Anyway, we can talk more about my my experience convincing my husband to get dogs and can't wait to hear what kind of dogs you've had me a long time to convince my husband to get a dog so i totally get it (laughs) listen my i had to get my kids to make a powerpoint presentation but we can talk more about that on the patreon so listeners if you want to hear what we really thought and our adult content over on patreon.com slash the whole view we'll talk about dogs and you can ask questions over there if you love the show that we create and produce ourselves the patreon is a great way to support the show but so it's just leaving a review or hitting the follow or subscribe button in whatever podcast app that you're listening so that others can find us as well. And we've put a list of resources in the show notes for you at realeverything.com. And I want to thank you for tuning in today. We appreciate your willingness to be open to growth through your own personal change. No one is perfect, but in listening, learning, and unlearning, we can all become better versions of ourselves. And I hope that you have a wonderful start to a new year, however you want to kick that off. So thank you again for listening, and I'll be back again next week. the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.